1: What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man.
0: The gospel never tells us something to do. The gospel tells us about something that's been done.
1: Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller, and I feel like we've been kind of doing an unofficial series. I think it's about a month ago, uh, we talked about the book Pursuing Peace. And I'm trying to think what other episodes that kind of fit into this discussion. But we've talked a lot about having charity and being gracious and um, having more fruitful discussions and and those sorts of things. And we're going to kind of continue that discussion
0: I think our episode, we talked about like essential doctrines and deciding what is and what isn't along the same lines, how to have these discussions.
1: And I I think right now, um, anyone who's on social media sees that there's a lot of different discussions happening on things that are secondary uh, we've talked a lot here about some of the men-women discussions. And I think a lot of people grew up with certain views. I think that happened a lot with the men-women stuff and hadn't really dug in themselves biblically. And some people are moving away from some of that those more extreme um, views on men and women. Well, why don't, why don't you start with an intro, Rachel, Let like you kind of uh, get us started on this discussion.
0: It's some of these discussions that we've been having, you know, Colleen and I privately, and also um, we see it in the group or online. Um, there are a lot of discussions about, you know, what are essential doctrines? What are things that we can agree to disagree on? Um, there are Discussions about deconstructing and what that means. Um, there are a lot of things that we've seen lately about calling other believers wolves or name calling like feminist, liberal, um, antinomian. I was trying to think of some of the others that we get called all the time. And I think what we wanted to talk about today in in this episode is to talk about how to, I guess the judgment of charity, how to treat each other kindly, how to think the best of each other, how to be careful about name calling and, um, you know to think about um, what things are important, and and really just how we should treat each other, and what what our our posture should be towards others who who disagree with us. Um, the one of the things we're going to link in the show notes is uh, this week's sermon from our pastor Todd Bordeaux. Uh, He's preaching through Mark. It's on the end of Mark nine, and so some of the things that we'll talk about today, you know, are are, um, were sparked from his sermon. Uh, And one of the things that he pointed out in the sermon is that we should always be wary of uh, people, uh, churches, denominations, organizations, movements, whatever, who so limit true faith or true belief that very few people would be considered genuine believers. And I'm not saying, and, and certainly our pastor wasn't saying that there aren't times in the life of the church um, where there have been very few believers. You know, we know that that's true, that there are times when um, and scripture talks about that, like, well, you know, are there any, anybody left who believes, but you know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm sure you've run across you know, they, this. These people are the ones who finally got it all figured out. Right. Um, and the rest of us are all, you know, out because if we don't, we don't believe X, Y, or Z. Um, and it reminds me, um, the joke about, you know, the person who arrives in heaven and they're getting the tour and, you know, the pearly gates and, and streets of gold and a uh, tree of life, all the things in the, in the, in heaven. And, you know, I see this building that has no windows, and the doors are all shut and it's dark and, and you ask, you know, what, what's that? And they go, oh, oh, yeah, you know, well, those are the Presbyterians. I think they're the only ones up here. Right. And, <laughs> right, and you can, substitute in i use presbyterians because i am one right but you can put anything in there the joke works because we all have these these tendencies right to think we're the only ones who got it right um so what we want to talk today about is how to um approach disagreements how to to treat others with, when we do disagree and how to to be charitable
1: yeah and what, one of the things there are groups out there that outright imply or say that they're the ones that got it right. Um, But sometimes um, a group may not exactly say that, but they will imply that they're the ones doing it right. They're the ones doing Christianity right in, in some sort of way, whether it's it can even be things like the way they're fighting the culture wars or things like that.
0: Well, and, you know, we should always be convinced of what we're doing that, that we, like we should study the scriptures and we should be convinced about the doctrines that we believe in or that we hold dear or teach that, that this is, we believe these for a reason. That's, it's a good thing to be Berean and to study and to know. Um, but there's a difference between that and having such uh, pride or arrogance that, you know, you're the only ones. Think there's a um, an illustration meme thing that I've seen. I don't remember who did it. And it's showing like this, a whiteboard with the whole history of the church and the, you know, this denomination broke off here and this one over here and over time. And at the very end, there's this little bitty branch. Right often circled and the teacher saying, and here we are here. We're the ones who finally got it right. You know, and it's that, it's that idea, right? That that's what we're we're talking about.
1: One of the things, and I think I mentioned in one of the other episodes, is if you think about your own self and think 20 years ago on things um, that you believe different and through prayer and studying and um, being in a good church and stuff where you've learned and grown and maybe came away from some view that you had that was um, wrong previously. And I think it's important to remember that when we're uh, dealing with other people to even, even have some patience. Um, I think sometimes the way, especially you see it on social media, is... If if somebody's wrong and you just go and attack them, that's not going to make them think. Oh, let me consider that my view may be wrong. You know, um, finding we've talked about it so much on finding ways to approach people with charity and and patience and grace, um, in hopes that you can have a discussion and that they'll consider their error and I think how we do it. Like in the sermon that Rachel mentioned. You know, Todd said that it's not that there isn't time to call out things that are wrong and, and whatnot, but I think sometimes the way we do it just ends up not being helpful
0: at all. I agree. One of Todd's points and one of the points that we're making today is that it's dangerous to judge others too harshly. Um, I found an article... Um, on ligonier by R.C. Sproul that I thought was really helpful. And I'm gonna quote different parts of it through this um, our discussion today. But this first quote kind of summarizes you know what we're talking about. So sometimes we must be forceful and sometimes we must be gentle, forceful with the wolves and gentle with Jesus' lambs. There are disagreements we have with our brothers, but also disagreements we have with those who claim to be our brothers, who may in fact be wolves in sheep's clothing. Such wolves always represent a clear danger to the safety, health, and well being of Christ's sheep. No quarter can be given to wolves, but we are called to exercise gentleness toward those whose, whose disagreements with us do not touch the heart of Christian orthodoxy. I think one of
1: the things that happens, and there's a lot good that's come because of social media, but I think sometimes um, a certain tone where things that are not a matter of orthodoxy um, that people put the same weight on them as if they are. And you now we'll, we'll talk later about, um, correctly using labels like wolves and false teachers, but then those things are, uh, those labels are thrown out, um, without a lot of thought. You know, sometimes I will see, you can see it on social media periodically where a non-Christian comes and quotes some sort of verse, which they you know, don't understand, but they, th- they think they know what it means. And you'll even see Christians quote it. And one of those passages is Matthew 7, 1 through 5, do not judge so that you will not be judged for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so, so sometimes you'll see it just the just do not judge. You know, well, the Bible says do not judge uh, as if there's. N- you know, never any judge judging that should be done. And we judge all the time in all sorts of ways. I don't think there's any way around that. We judge right from wrong and good from bad and wise from foolish. And those are good judgments that we should exercise. But this passage right here, and in, in correctly understanding it, I think the the verse that uh, really explains that is, um, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So in the same ways, I, my husband and I were talking about this passage yesterday, and I had come up with this great analogy, and I cannot remember it anymore. Um, but in the way that that you judge, you shall be judged. So when you judge others harshly, you may be judged in that same sort of harsh
0: judgment and and maybe unfairly too you know thinking too about the passage in romans when uh, paul's talking about matters of conscience and this, so romans 14 now accept the one who's weak in faith but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions and it says, Who are you to judge the servant of another to his own mastery stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. And verse 10, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you, again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And, you know, I think that's the, you know, that's the emphasis in, in Todd's sermon and what we're talking about today, that this idea that we, we serve all of us as Christians serve Christ and well, we have to be um, and we are called to um, judge rightly about um, what is true and what is good and how we should live. And um, we are expected to, to hold, you know, other believers to, to the standard of the Bible, um, especially on how we treat others and on the truth of faith. And, um, we still need to be very careful about how we're treating each other in in these areas where we are brothers who disagree. One of the
1: things, and I've thought about this so much, um, and I have my little list of quotes that I um, that I save, but I thought this mm-hmm. was good. We can push back on bad beliefs without viewing people who hold them with contempt or disgust, and I think that's sometimes where. It where we see some of the ugliness mm-hmm. when someone pushes back against someone, and they they really do it viewing that person with contempt or disgust. So I think it's far more fruitful to um, and by the way I think that happens on social media with people we don't know. I don't I don't think we tend to, hopefully don't tend to do that in real life with our, our real life friends. But when you disagree with a good friend, you, you still love that friend. You, you seek to be gracious and, and whatnot. And I think that's kind of the way that, that we ought to, because we're still called to charity and kindness.
0: And that's the, the passage that, like I said, that Tom was preaching from in the sermon is from uh, Mark seven or Mark nine, uh, the end of the passage. Um And talks about, and it was following up, because it's two passages, so there was one sermon and there was this one, but it's following up after um, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, you know, we saw people that were casting out demons in your name, but they're not not us, they're not our people. Um, You know, we tried to stop them, but, you know, Jesus says, you know, don't, because anyone who is performing a miracle in my name um, just won't be able to speak evil of me. Uh, soon after. It says that who's not against us is for us. Then it goes on, um, whoever causes one of these little ones or humble ones to, stum- to believe to stumble, it would be better for him if a uh, heavy millstone was cast around his neck or hung around his neck he was cast into the sea. Um, and for me, it was interesting in, in the sermon because I had never um, put the context together um, you know, the, there's a lot of times with passages that certain verses are, are preached or, or spoken on um, and it's not its not so clear. We forget to look back at all of what's going on around it. Um, and so, looking at it in the context of these people, these other people who were you know, doing miracles in Jesus' name, um, and who they were, and Jesus, you know, says that, you know, these are these are my people, my children too, my little ones. Um, and Todd's point uh, in it is that we shouldn't let our pride or our, um, I guess, self-righteousness, the sense that we're better than someone else. In Todd's sermon, his point was that our our pride in ourselves and our beliefs can lead us to cause sincere Christians to question their faith or their belonging to Christ. uh, And that's the causing them to stumble. And, um, you know, I was interested in what he had to say. And I went and looked at some of the other commentaries on the passage. And I thought this was really interesting uh, with Matthew, Matthew Henry. He said, who, whosoever shall grieve any true Christians though they be of the weakest, shall oppose their entrance into the ways of God or discourage and obstruct their progress in those ways, shall either restrain them from doing good or draw them in to commit sin. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and they were cast into the sea. And you know, it's that the idea again there is that when you make a sincere believer doubt their faith, because they don't agree with you on all points of doctrine, or they, you know, hold a different opinion on this, or they are, whatever, when we, in our pride, when we cause someone else to question their faith, a sincere believer to question their faith, we are doing something that is greatly damaging, and it's dangerous um, to our own faith and our own um, our own. I guess walk with the Lord. That we we are causing something. We are doing something that can cause great damage to ourselves and to others.
1: I think it is such a good point, especially thinking about how our pride can get in the way. It's so easy, I think, for any of us, especially as we are learning and growing and uh, thinking about where we stand theologically on things, to have some pride. Like, well, look at me. I got all this figured out. Um, I mean, we don't say it right out like that, but it's easy, even for me, to think. Well, I have something figured out that that person over there doesn't. Instead of rem- remembering, but by God's grace, um, I would understand nothing. And- and
0: that's the you know the cage stage part. Yes. That um, and it's not just you know caged stage Calvinist or Reformed any. When you come to any new understanding, you can have a, a cage stage over being ready to to prove your your rightness, um, and you may be right. Like it, it may be that you have found a true uh, a true way of understanding, um, but our response and our posture should be the humility, like you said, if, you know there, but for the grace of God, we would only understand what we do understand correctly is only because of His grace. And if you don't
1: know what cage stage means, it's um, basically all the passion but not the wisdom. And they say they'd be better off in a cage until they <laughs> um, kind of grow in some wisdom. There, we all know someone like that. We maybe all have been there ourselves. And you're excited. You're excited. You have. You understand this, um, but we still need to have humility. We're we're going to talk about wolves and according to scripture this is this is one of those things you know i see it all the time accusations that person is a wolf that person is a false teacher so often based on some secondary disagreement i mean there's some really odd things that people practically throw people out of the kingdom for i mean even cultural and all sorts of all sorts of crazy
0: stuff. You know, we've seen it a lot. We've seen it politically uh, in the U.S. in the last last few years. It's become more so. If you don't vote the way I do, then can you really be a Christian? And both ways, both directions on that. Um, or if you don't hold to this or that position. And, you know, I grew up uh, Southern Baptist and in the old school Southern Baptist. You know, there were, if you went dancing, if you... Drank alcohol. If you smoke tobacco, you know all of that would. Any of those would cause uh, your your salvation to be questioned, and any number of things like that that we can use that are examples that we can give that are are not essential doctrines, but they are ones that are that show up a lot in these discussions. But let's talk specifically
1: about what wolves means and and false teachers. Um, Matthew seven. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but a but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every Tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Ooh, that's such a
0: so a much happy in passage. That passage.
1: Yeah, yeah, very, very. And I think some one that's sometimes um,
0: misused. Mm, sure, mm-hmm. you have a number of places where uh, Jesus judges the the Pharisees or the other church leaders very harshly uh, when he calls them. You know, the vipers and whitewashed tombs and, um, you know, he he has really hard words to say for them and for, for what they were doing. But you see it here in this passage, he's talking about, um, you know, these false prophets, these ravenous wolves that will know by their fruit, they're leading people astray and on significant things, so not just, you know, a disagreement, but significant um false teaching in looking at what is this fruit, how we know them by their fruit uh, in Galatians five before uh, Paul gives the fruit of the spirit. He talks about the deeds of the flesh. Um, These are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Um, Or in second Timothy, um, you get the the list for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and holding to a form of godliness, though they have denied its powers power, avoid such men as these. You know, these are these are ways that we can, can identify. Uh, false prophets, false teachers, the true wolves, uh, the ones that we need to avoid and we need to protect the the sheep from. I was even
1: thinking of Matthew 24, 24, for there shall rise false Christ and false prophets and mm-hmm. shall show great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect kind of still has that same theme of kind of leading people astray.
0: Yeah. And you know, so, who are False teachers, you know, these are those who have a false gospel. These are those who have a false um, view of, of who Christ is, especially.
1: Again, with talking about kind of false teachers and, you know, having a false gospel. One of the things also uh, from Romans 16, 18, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the hearts of the naive. Years ago, and even probably currently, you'll um, see there's been a lot of pastors that have fallen, and s- sometimes that pastor is all about him, not not about the gospel, not about Christ, but he's he is a smooth talker, and um, they're kind of serving their own. Narcissism, not not serving Christ, and they can deceive even you know actual Christians. That's Fair. why they're dangerous. If they were right out there with mm-hmm. wolf on their forehead and easy to spot, mm-hmm. um, wouldn't have I think the warnings that we have. But they they can deceive even true believers.
0: You know this is this is the serious stuff, right? This is not minor this is not minor disagreements it's not secondary or you know matters of indifference these are are, are serious problems um, people who are who are destroying the church destroying Christians and their faith um, you know leading them away from the truth of who Christ is and leading them away from the truth of the gospel and our salvation in him um, you know the, this is you know this is fundamental. Um, error. You know, one of the other terms that's getting thrown around a lot uh, in these discussions lately, uh, especially online, um, is deconstructing, right? And it's used, I'm seeing it be starting to be used a lot the same way as some of the other kind of category of name calling, like so that Oh well you believe that well then you're deconstructing. If you're deconstructing, that means you're denying the faith, that means you're bad, right? Like so you see this progression. So it's become it's becoming a term that can be a label that can be slapped on it and said, Well, okay, you know, you're out because you this is what you're doing. Um what do you think about some of the the discussions around this?
1: I think people mean different things by it, and mm-hmm. there's been some well name people that had platforms, whether it be a musician or a teacher, that have left the faith altogether and they will use that language. But it is also, I see it probably even more so um, when people are coming out of bad beliefs or legalism that they're deconstructing from from those views. Um, I've seen people who were in patriarchal circles that are deconstructing from those, uh, extremes. And when you do that, I've talked to a lot of, uh, a lot of ladies that, you know, are, are kind of in that category. And it really is kind of deconstructing these, these bad views and trying to, um, Understand a lot of things from a biblical perspective, not from this kind of circles that they were in. So th- that's kind of what I've seen personally.
0: Yeah, I think that's where we need to be careful when when we ha- hear someone use this language. Like, well, what do you mean by that? Um, what what what's your take on this? What's what's going on in your life that you would use the term? Um, you know what what's happening? Because I mean, there are those who started journeys and pretty famous ones that we can think of examples of people start a journey. And at first it looked like they were, were um, doing good work of trying to disentangle some of their beliefs from, um, you know, extra biblical or false teaching. And, and then they keep going though. And they have eventually publicly denied the faith um, very specifically saying that they no longer consider themselves Christians. Um, but there are many others who really are just working through layers of belief, layers of teaching, layers of things that they have been um, been taught, or things that they have been that they have read or assumed, uh, and, and trying to work through um, that that process of, of peeling back those layers. Um, you know, this is something um, you know from my own book, uh, Beyond Authority and Submission, and, uh, you know, Amy Bird's Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, you know, that that peeling back the layers, trying to figure out what's going on underneath. Um, Because, you know, this happens in in the Reformation that was looking at scripture and looking at the layers of tradition that had been built on top of it and trying to get underneath the tradition and get back to the scriptures and, and be faithful to scriptures. And I think that when you're talking with with people who are working through these things, if you're you're dealing with someone who is who believes that scripture is true, that believes that you know that that God is you know Father, Son, and Spirit, that believes that um, Jesus came to to live and die and uh, rise again for our sins and for our salvation, that's where their faith is. Now, there may be some time while they're working through all these things where they have doubts or questions, or um, you're not sure how they how to understand various parts. But they're wrestling with with truth and with faith, and I think we should be very careful not to um, assume that people who are doing that kind of wrestling, who are even wrestling with some some great doubts and 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 fears and um, and, and even with like the weight of trauma in their life, that we shouldn't assume the worst of them. We should assume, again, judge them charitably and help um, help others who are working through some of these very difficult things. I think if you are somebody that is going through that too,
1: hopefully you find a good church and a good pastor that's willing to help you work through some of that. Um and I agree with everything Rachel said. I I do think we also have to be cautious because as Rachel mentioned and I can I can think of two people off the top of my head that are well known that kind of started out by deconstructing from those bad beliefs and then ended up leaving the faith altogether. And I can understand how how that can happen. I think it's so important to to not just be in reaction to those bad beliefs, but be able to step back and say, "Okay, what does Scripture really teach?" Because it can be tempting to kind of live in reaction to those those bad beliefs, and then um, not really sure where you fit in at all. Uh, there's so I will just reemphasize: if you can find a good pastor, a good church that's willing to walk with you. I think it can be really, really helpful and necessary. And I know that's not easy for everyone to do. I know that's a struggle for a lot of our listeners finding that sort of church.
0: And I, I found an article um, on got Questions, and I thought was helpful in kind of talking through some of what's behind this. The deconstruction and deconstruction is a movement, so. One of the things it said in the article is that rather than allowing room for sincere doubt and questions, some Christian communities reject anything more than superficial curiosity. That may extend to carelessly labeling those with doubts as unbelievers or troublemakers. This lends weight to those who falsely claim that valid answers are only found outside the church. Faith communities may obsess over teachings that are secondary or even superficial. They may cement cultural and political preferences into their view of Christianity. These errors or those errors also feed the false narrative driving much of the modern deconstruction movement. And I thought that was very insightful, but I think we need to be careful about how we talk about people who are struggling with doubt or struggling with sincere questions um, over their faith and trying to work out their faith. and and, you know, kind of work through things that they've been taught um, that may or may not be biblical, that we should be careful how we treat them because the last thing we want to do is to run off sincere believers or chase them from the church and the truth. You know, we want to to help other believers. And some people are, um, you know, bruised reeds. Some people are... Um, very young in their faith, like like little lambs. Some are um, sheep that have been abused and harmed, and you know we should we should be tender in our treatment of others.
1: Periodically, I see on Twitter where someone may be expressing some of this, you know, mm-hmm. in a tweet, and of course, it's it's usually followed as. Many tweets are you either you get um, some people that come and oh yes, I agree with you, I struggle with that too, blah, blah blah. but then you get the other side, the kind of wow, you're such an idiot to think that sort of side. not not really um, not really helpful. And then I've seen this a few times where the the people kind of um, being jerks and pushing back against this person not showing any charity or grace and someone will come along the thread and say this is why i left the church and that like rachel said you you literally can be chasing people out that are really struggling and wanting to understand they really are coming from a place of i i want to understand and when Christians or people in the name of Christ come and just act so horribly in response, and I'm not saying there isn't there are times where we need to call out bad doctrine and and things like that, but again, it's the way that we do it. Like the quote I gave earlier, when we kind of treat someone with contempt and disgust because we think they're wrong, it's it's just not going to be fruitful at all. I, I don't know that it fits in here, but I, I'm going to say. In, I, I recommend going and reading the Westminster Larger Catechism on the Ninth Commandment. I won't say the whole thing here; it's very, very long. But it's uh, for me. I, I, tr- I try to read it periodically. Um, just in, we we should not assume the worst of of that person. I think there's often a lot of assuming, assuming the worst. Um, But assume the best and find find ways to. How can I help this person? Um, How can I love this person that is struggling right now? Um,
0: You think about how when um, when Thomas uh, doubted, he said that Jesus. If he didn't, unless he saw Jesus put his hands in the the nail nail marks in his hands and touch the, the mark in his side that he wasn't going to believe that Jesus had, re- had been resurrected. And, you know, Jesus comes to him and he says, here, look, here are my hands. And he offers, gently offers himself to say, here, you can see. Um, and I think that we should, you know, take, um, take these e- examples from the way Christ treated sincere believers with small faith because um, that's who, you know, ultimately that's who we all are. You know, we're all those little ones who are weak, who are uh, small in our faith and uh, in need of, of compassion and tenderness. Yeah. Amen to that. So, you know, I think there is a difference between, those who are tearing down the church, or who are, you know, want nothing to do with with faith and Christianity, and they, and you know, they they really want to destroy. And then those who have orthodox faith and beliefs, and who are working through their doubts or trying to to separate out essential doctrines from secondary and you know non essential beliefs. It's, it's two different issues and we should be careful how we um, categorize people uh, with especially um, categorizing them quickly or rashly. Okay.
1: Speaking of categorizing, and this is something that we have dealt with so, so, so much. And I, again, with my quotes, but I, I think this one is so good. Um you can disagree with someone without making them the extreme opposite of everything you value. You see it all the time, antinomian, legalist, feminist, you know, whatever. Even in the way that we categorize, just because somebody doesn't line up with you on your version of complementarianism does not mean that they are now a feminist or an egalitarian. That's what I'm trying to say. So we need to, part Part of the ninth commandment is being honest in, um, in not misrepresenting somebody and throwing some of these things, um, these labels in some condescending way.
0: You know, one of the things that we've talked about before that I think is really helpful, there's a uh, an article by Al Bowler on, um, on triage, on these ideas, right? Doctrinal triage. So what are first order, second order, third order? Um, and in, in a, a newer book that I, I hope we're going to get a chance to discuss more later um, by Gavin Ortland, it's Finding the Right Hills to Die On. And he takes it, he uses Al Mohler's idea, but he takes it a little bit further. And he says, first-order doctrines are essential to the gospel itself. 2nd rank doctrines are urgent for the health and practice of the church such that they frequently cause Christians to separate at the level of local church, denomination, and or ministry. Third rank doctrines are important to Christian theology, but not enough to justify separation or division among Christians. And then fourth rank doctrines are unimportant to our gospel witness and ministry collaboration. And I think, you know, that's where I think it's important to keep that in mind as we we talk about discussions with others, other Christians, people we may disagree with. Um, you know, what level of, of disagreement are we having? Is it essential? Is it important, but, um, not essential to the faith? Is it, um, significant, but not enough to, to separate? And, and is it just completely unimportant or non-essential?
1: I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to link that. Um, I'll actually link Gavin's book and episode notes and, um, Al Mohler's article. Cause I, I refer to that article all the time, mm-hmm. um, as much as I would like to think that I am right about everything, I probably am not. I mean, I for sure am not. And Christians can be wrong about a variety of things. It can be sinfully wrong. We, we all have weaknesses and probably areas that we may have greater weaknesses.
0: And we may not have, we may not know in this life. Where we're wrong, like you said, like it, it it recall it takes a level of introspection that people really aren't capable of. We we can't. It, it's important and necessary that we believe that we're we under we're right. Like it, it's it's appropriate that we think that we're doing the right thing, right, and holding the right beliefs. So it's 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 most common and most likely. That all of us are wrong somewhere, um, and you know, like I said, we may not know in this life where we where those areas are. You know, the truth is, and we see from Scripture, Christians are capable of the whole range of sins. Um, Christians can do horrible things to each other: they're murder, hatred, sexual immorality of all kinds, gossip, lying, cruelty, theft. Um, if you consider from Scripture David, who was a man after God's own heart, and consider all that he did. He he did many terrible things, and of course we see his repentance and his his tender conscience and his desire to be right with God, um, which are certainly important and not excusing of the behavior and the wrong things that he did, but just just the the simple truth that. We can be very wrong and we can do really, really bad things and still be Christians who are wrong and sinful. In some circles, a tendency to too quickly
1: um, question other people's salvation. Um, And I think we have to be really careful about that sort of thing. Actually, go back and listen to the, the sermon from Todd, which will talk about that
0: Yes, Um, you know, and this is where, you know, even though we're not, and these are uh, discussions that come up a lot, um, Christians can be, and have been in history, guilty of racism, they've been guilty of of misogyny, Um, there were Christians who were part of the slave trade, and they were wrong to do it, it was wrong, right, these were bad things, and sinful, and it certainly has an effect on um, on their witness. It had an effect on their life and the way they treated others. And I hope they repented, and I hope we do repent today. Um, but I think we have to be just very frankly aware of our capacity for sin, even as Christians, and be willing to be um, forgiving and kind towards others and other believers in their struggles as we would like to have them treat us kindly in ours. Which doesn't excuse the behavior, right? It doesn't excuse sin. Um, Sin is sin and bad and just just that we should treat each other kindly and gently um, in our weaknesses, in our our frailty.
1: Yeah, you may have a friend that has very different um, views on any number of things, but that that friend really is sincerely seeking scripture and wanting to live in obedience to the Lord. And maybe you come to some different conclusions. And I mean, that's, I, I don't know any person in this world that agrees with me on everything the same.
0: It'd be kind of weird to have someone you never disagree with ever.
1: Um, right. Even my husband and I have some, some different, um, different views but you know just like you're learning and growing other people are learning and growing and being sanctified
0: my husband believes that that dark chocolate um ice cream is the best ever and he's clearly wrong and i love him sincerely <laughs> um, yeah my, uh, I,
1: my husband sometimes eats mushrooms and I just, oh no
0: no no <laughs> but see you still have, love him even in his his weakness right
1: Yeah, see, I think mushrooms aren't really meant to be eaten, and I know that I'm right about this.
0: (laughs) You know, so when we're talking about these things, like I was saying, these areas of sin and weakness um, have significant effect on believers. It has an effect on our interactions with others, um, our faith, um, our ability to witness to others. It's not that these areas of sin are not significant. They are very significant. but. I just think it's important for us to remember that we're sinners and we're going to be wrong and we should be humble about that and open to correction because we may very well be wrong on something significant and unable to see it. Um, I think it's especially true um, with areas where um, our things that we hold on to are influenced by our culture um, whatever that is across various cultures and places that it's especially hard to separate those things out from um, what the scriptures say we should do. I think you bring up an important point.
1: I think it, it's so easy to have pride and I think it's so important for us to consit- to be mindful that we can be wrong about things and, and consider that there's things in the last few years that I've rethought and thought, you know, maybe I, I really think this very strongly, but this person I respect over there has a different view. I I, I want to listen to what they have to say. Maybe I'm wrong about this, you know, some small mm-hmm. uh, theological or um, not even necessarily theological, all sorts of things. And I'm sorry to our listeners, I think neighbor is uh, doing something out in my yard, so I don't know if it can be. And one of the most important things that I want to emphasize so much in this kind of contentious time, including um, in the church and Reformed believers and whatnot, is to remember what it is that unites us. Um, I think so many people are have united themselves primarily by a political ideology or a um, cultural view or a social issue as the thing that unites them. But it is the gospel and essential doctrines that unite us. Um, even if you disagree on political ideology or some social or cultural issue.
0: You know, I think that there's a, a passage in scripture that that gets to some of what we're talking about here. Um, in 1 Corinthians 3, it, it talks about, so if any man builds on the foundation, the foundation is Christ. With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Um, And both Matthew Henry and Calvin take the same approach. I like what they had to say here. Matthew Henry says, those who hold the foundations of Christianity, though they build hay, wood, and stubble upon it may be saved. Uh, This may help to enlarge our charity. We should not reprobate men for their weakness, for nothing will damn men but wickedness. And Calvin similarly says, those who build upon Christ, but in consequence of the weakness of the flesh, admit something that is man's, or through ignorance turn aside to some extent from the strict purity of God's word. Those are the people... Um, that it's talking about there, that their work may be burnt up, like we, things that we've built on or added on, and he he gives the example, I think he does there, of um, believers who were in the church, part of the Catholic Church before the Reformation, and things that were added on that they may have held on to or believed, that those things would be, were not good or right or true, but they themselves, they were still believers. And, you know, I think that's that's the point, Um that's the the heart of what we're discussing today. People can be true believers and not be right about everything. People can be true believers and hold different opinions.
1: Well, I just always think about what my grandma told me when she mm. was ninety. <laughs> she said we were talking about we we're actually talking about Matthew seven, and she said, you know. I think that there are things I'm starting to grasp now, <laughs> and I was like, "Wait, is it going to take me that long?" Um, but here, my grandma, ninety years old, who you know grew up in the church, became a Christian at a very young age, studied Scripture more than anyone I personally know was saying she was starting to grasp some of it.
0: But shouldn't we all want that? Like that we continue yes. to grow in it, in the faith, and in our understanding, and our, in the. And it should make us more and more humble, more thankful, more gracious, um, less harsh, and certainly less proud.
1: It, it is, isn't it, to that, to when mm-hmm. you realize, man, I've thought this the whole time. I had something like that recently, not theological. Like, mm-hmm. I really thought this, and I was completely... I think I was completely wrong, and I need to rethink that. It's, It does kind of make you humble and less prideful, because what else might I be wrong about?
0: Exactly. So what is the judgment of charity? Um, going back to that article, uh, Ligonier article by R.C. Sproul, um, he says, the judgment of charity works something like this. When we disagree with one another, I believe we are called as Christians to assume the motives of the other person with whom we disagree are pure motives. This is the approach we are to have with those with whom we have an honest difference in biblical interpretation, but who love the Bible and aren't trying to change what it teaches. Such people are unwilling to compromise the essential truths of the Christian faith. Now, the judgment of charity assumes in a Christian dispute that the brother or sister with whom we're disagreeing is disagreeing honestly and with personal integrity. And he goes on to say, we don't impugn people's motives and don't assume the worst of them when we disagree with them. We make a distinction between best case and worst case analysis. Uh, The problem we all have as sinners on this side of glory is that we tend to reserve best case analysis to our own motives and give worst case analysis to our brothers' and sisters' motives. That's just the opposite of the spirit we're called to have in terms of biblical humility.
1: That is so good. I'll put that quote in the episode notes because that is it kind of summarizes everything that that we're talking about
0: well you know it's what we were talking about you and i were talking before we, we started recording about how it's really easy for us and this is true not just within christianity but just in general it's it's easy for us To assume that those people who we agree with, or those people that we like, that they're when they say something wrong or do something wrong, well, they probably didn't mean it, or it probably wasn't that big a deal, or it's probably not. You know, we we try to give them, we try to be charitable. And then someone who is on the opposite side of us on on an issue or um, from a different background, or someone we just don't care for, um, you know, they do something and immediately we we assume the worst. It's It's proof that they're the worst person ever because X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's like Sproul says here, that's really the opposite of what we're supposed to do uh, and how we treat others.
1: Like Rachel said, we talked about that before we recorded because I saw a real life example of the same people when one person that's kind of outside of their circle said something, they put the absolute worst spin on it and assume the worst of what this person meant. But then when somebody within their circles, said something that seemed like an obvious error, and some people came and pointed it out. These same people who were harsh with the first person came and said, well, you know, let's ask him for clarification.
0: We should assume the best, and we should do that with everybody. There's a, a great quote from Matthew Henry. It's, uh, it's in his commentary on Philippians 4. He says, we cannot search into that book, the book of life, or know whose names are written there, but we may, in a judgment of charity, conclude that those who labor in the gospel and are faithful to the interests of Christ and souls have their names in the book of life. And you know, I think the point here is sincere Christians, uh, those who have their faith in Christ for their salvation, um, may have the same respect for scripture. They may have the same commitment to be to orthodoxy, and may still come to different conclusions on non-essential doctrines. Like we're all working from the same starting points, and in our study we've come to different agreements. And a, a great example of this would be um, differences on on how we baptize or who who and how we baptize. These are things that sincere believers may sincerely disagree on, even though we're all committed to doing um, to being biblical in our understanding of baptism.
1: And mm-hmm. sometimes assuming the worst as well. I I've studied this more, and I have some special knowledge, or yeah, if you've that read everything, sort of I have right. <laughs> in kind of going back to what it is that unites us, I wanted to recommend I've. I've noticed um, sometimes people haven't ever gotten a a good handle on the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. You know, when we talk about the gospel that unites us and the essential doctrines, um, Michael Horton's book, Core Christianity, is really a great great book if you're wanting to get a good handle of the essential doctrines. And we've talked before about um, those essential doctrines. being summarized in the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. And if you were Presbyterians, but we have friends that are Baptists and um, other denominations that hold to those same essential doctrines of the Christian faith, what separates us as Christians from cults is they they don't hold to those essential doctrines. So, if you look at Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they deny essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Um, I don't. I haven't looked in a while. I will look, and if it's there, I will link in the episode notes. But there used to be a free course. If if you don't have the money to go and purchase core Christianity, there used to be a free course, and it probably is still there on the Core Christianity website. That um, had some videos and little things to read, and there actually is several um, free courses on on that website. So it's a great site, and Rachel sometimes contributes there. So another reason, just to to support that site.
0: One of the things that, that happens in the discussions and we say we're united by the gospel. um, And then in, in these discussions in these disagreements, someone will say, but this is a gospel issue, right? If you don't believe X about Y, then, you know, you're denying the gospel. And again, I'll go back to saying some of the disagreements are significant um, and have consequences in the, in other parts of our beliefs by holding one way or the other. But not everything is the gospel. Um, you know, we, we tend to try to put everything under that umbrella of everything I believe is good, therefore it's all gospel. But the gospel, um, to, to use some of the scriptures um, that, that summarize it and um, you have 1 Timothy 1.15, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. Um, I love that one as a summary of the gospel, probably more than every ever the other passages. That's the one I go to uh, first. Um, or from First Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, which is to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Um, and the gospel is that Jesus became incarnate, became a man, took on flesh, lived the life that we couldn't live, um, died for us in our place, uh, paid for our sins, and was raised on the third day. Um, and our salvation is found in him and his work alone. That, that is the gospel. Uh, you see in Romans 4 um, it says, um, now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered over because of our wrongdoings and was raised because of our justification. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, for I handed down to you as of first importance that I what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Second Corinthians 5, This now all these
1: things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I'll also add, when people talk about things being gospel issues, I think it often neglects those law gospel distinctions. So um, having the correct categories for the law and the gospel um, will help us be mindful of what our actual gospel issues, which is the gospel itself.
0: You know, so, for some kind of closing thoughts on this discussion, um, the one of the things that uh, our pastor closed with in the passage from Mark 9, um, Jesus ends that passage by saying, you know, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So, I think one of the important points here and takeaway is that we should live in peace with other believers. Don't
1: be seeking to destroy other believers. I think sometimes on social media, especially Twitter, um, there, there's often some games of gotcha and a hot take against somebody. And again, I, I don't think that that's fruitful. And be careful about calling people wolves or false teachers or false believers. Um, I don't know how many people know the word schadenfreude and it's kind of a pleasure at somebody else's pain uh, it's a a german word but i i think sometimes even that happens like um, a sort of schadenfreude at our brother or sister's misfortune mm-hmm. and that that's just not not a godly um, approach
0: you know, the Galatians 5 passage that says, you know, if you bite and devour one another, take care you're not consumed by one another. Just really the, the opposite of you know being at peace. It's like if we're biting and devouring, then we're not living peacefully with each other as believers. Um that sounds like Twitter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, yes. And yeah. Um, I like to it reminded me of the, the verse verses in Jude. It says, have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And I was thinking about that as a, you know, kind of the baseline of how we interact and how we treat others. And it should be merciful. Uh, we should want their good and, and want their salvation. Treat each other kindly. I think, again, this is um, where sometimes pride
1: comes along where in our, we can let our Christian liberty or secondary beliefs be used to hurt other Christians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13, but take care that this freedom of yours does not somehow become a stumbling, stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple with his conscience, if he is weak, not be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols. And we've talked about this passage, I think, a couple of times before. For through your knowledge, the one who is weak is ruined, the brother or sister for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brothers and sisters and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, food causes my brother to sin. I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to sin. Kind of fits into some other things we've talked about in this discussion. It
0: really does. And I think this is. The other part is that we should be patient um, with believers who are struggling uh, or working through um, their doubts, working through separating what they've been taught uh, from essential beliefs. And then, of course, we should all be willing to examine where we might be wrong um, or prideful or where we might be harming other believers. And we should all work on that humility that we should have. You know, just to wrap
1: up, so many of the words that we've used today—humility, patience, kindness, charity—these are all things in Scripture that, um, and I think sometimes we focus on so many other things that aren't even emphasized to this degree. But thinking about loving your neighbor as yourself, and and what that means, which we've talked about um, throughout these episodes, and and what that looks like, so. I'm going to have several things in the episode notes, but I I strongly encourage listening to um, the sermon from Pastor Todd Bordeaux. Um, It was one of those sermons that kind of surprised me. I didn't expect it to go where it went and kind of end up where it did and kind of all clicked together for me. So definitely check that out and whatever else I put in the episode notes. We'll see you next week.